the most sensitive question we ever receive is, what's the best brokerage that I should go to work for? We'll slowly and carefully walk through that subject on today's show. Welcome to the Minnesota Real Estate Education Podcast with Mike Brennan. Mike is the owner of the Minnesota Realty School and can be found online at mnrealtyschool.com. Now here's Mike Brennan. Today, we're going to be discussing about choosing a real estate brokerage and discussing the types of brokerage that are out there and some of the terminology that's used. We won't be using the names of brokerages as we go through, nor will we be recommending anyone in particular. This is Mike Brennan, and I'm sitting here with Marshall Saunders, the producer of Minnesota Podcasting. Hi, Mike. How are you doing today? Doing great. How about yourself? Very good. So today we're going to be visiting on some uh, very sensitive topics about which brokerage should I choose. And just to be upfront with you right out of the gate, I'm a neutral party. I really don't favor any one particular type of business model, but we will be discussing general terms as we talk about real estate brokerages and how they exist. So this is a question I got to tell you, Marshall. I get asked an awful lot. What's a good real estate brokerage? Um, I got into the trades in the 90s, started selling real estate, listing and selling houses, and I went to work for a company that had a very specific type of split, they called it, uh, a commission split that when we successfully closed the sale... I got a fee as a percentage of the commission. And that was one that worked really, really well for me. Now, I see from a teaching perspective today, which is what I do full-time, there's a different type of set of businesses out there that offer different programs. So if you were a new person coming into the trade and you were fresh off and looking at this from a fresh perspective, what kind of questions do you think might be asked by a person coming in today? Well, first of all, why do I need a broker? Why not just run out and start my own brokerage? You would be surprised how many times people come to us and even ask that question. And, and let me just go right out of the gate on this one. The state law requires it. you got to have somebody supervising you as a sales associate before you can actually go out and be your own broker. So by state law, you have to have been supervised as a sales associate for at least three years before you can go out and become your own broker. So everybody has to be aligned with a brokerage. Okay. So then don't I just go for the cheapest one? Ooh, there's another great question I get really, really quite frequently. You know, I was, I recall teaching a class and I, I was talking about the differences between two motor vehicles in terms of the value statement that they bring. And the interesting conversation that I had in the class was, you can purchase a motor vehicle today, a car, that has a 10-year, 100,000-mile guarantee, runs wonderfully, made out of maybe Korea or even other countries, and you can get a nice four-door sedan for $20,000. And then you have on the other end of the spectrum a four-door sedan that is selling for $98,000. And the question that we were posing in this, in this class was, if price, if that was the only determining factor in making a decision, the only motor vehicles we would see are the $20,000 cars, right. yet these luxury car manufacturers are making some of their best sales years ever. So is price the only determining factor? And I want to give that an unequivocal no. When you're looking at the companies, they're going to be charging you some fees. And as we go out as a new agent and I'm coming in the door here, or as an experienced agent to looking over the fence to see if the grass is truly greener at that other company, fees would, of course, be a factor and a consideration. 
when I'm looking at purchasing something, I want to look at what is the benefit to me as I join that real estate firm? What is the benefit for buying that very expensive sweeping motion watch versus the watch that has the timer that goes click, click, click? And I have to wonder, when I'm driving my decision, is the price a factor yes and no? If I'm getting something for it, I'll pay for that more expensive product. So price is a determining factor, but not the end-all be-all. I think from all things considered that the biggest driving factor that helps a real estate agent from our previous podcast become successful is the broker manager. That if you're coming to work and you have a person that you can rely on, go to, trust, who will give you honest advice, that that person, your broker manager, is probably the single most important ingredient at the firm that you will be using as a resource. Locally, keeping it close to home is probably a prudent course of action. I wouldn't want to be sitting in my house in St. Paul and my broker is in Rochester or in Bemidji, Minnesota. So having that distance, having that resource, and to also think also from a perspective of with the world today being so online, um, we now have business models which exist in the cloud. So is the physical office or the proximity to the broker necessary I I want to clarify something on that one. I think the accessibility to the broker is an important one in today's real world. There's really two types of brokerages out there today in the category of presence. And what I mean by that is that some will be in the cloud and some will be physical offices that I can go to and do work. Now, mind you, when I'm going to go do work, I need certain types of devices to do my job. Computer, obviously. Printers. Believe it or not, we still need these things called fax machines. Now, you might be too young to know what these machines are, but a piece of paper went in one side and came out the other side of a phone line. We need meeting rooms. We need to have a place where we can sit down with our clients to review paperwork. So there's an office that has a physical presence. When we're dealing with the online, the -the in-the-cloud companies, this will take a maybe a little bit of a different understanding, knowledge, skill set to be able to handle how we go into the cloud and use it. I've even seen business models where you get an avatar and on your computer screen, on your tablet device, you will see literally a cartoon avatar walking through a, a large auditorium going to a training class. So it really depends on comfort level, I think, from the person's perspective. Now, in dealing with the presence, whether you choose online or if you're choosing a physical presence office, that's up to you. Me personally, just to give you some background on me, I was never an office guy. I very seldom, if ever, went to the office. And I always felt that real estate was best done in the field, at dining room tables, at open houses. So I was never really one to use a lot of office space. But when it was there, I did use it. So I did join a firm, and it had a very, very nice presentable office space, and it was wonderful. I lived in St. Paul, and it was in South Minneapolis. The really neat thing with this office was I could use it when I needed, and it happened to be a chain, so they had multiple doors all around the Twin Cities area. When I was doing that, I could pop in if I was showing a house in White Bear Lake or Prior Lake, which are on opposite ends of the cities. They had offices. I could pop in and use them. That was really important to me. 
As time marched forward, I began to realize that maybe something different would be needed as my business model changed. Now, in dealing with how the company treated me, it was wonderful. It was a great experience, and I relish it and, de and delight in it even to this day, the friendships that I had made in that office. But what happened was is that I was bringing in a sale. So just as a point of reference, how did they pay me? There was the presence. Now, how am I going to get paid? When I'm dealing with getting paid, I was on a commission split program. So if I sold a $100,000 house and there was a 3% commission, and just to clarify, there's no standard commission. There are negotiable by all standards. But pretend it was a 3% commission. That's $3,000. Then what ended up happening, I was on a commission split where they kept, let's say, half of it. So my share of it was $1,500. Let's do 10 of those a year. I made $15,000. Great. Time moves forward. I'm doing business, getting more people in the door, getting a lot of referrals. And then I decided I was going to move into a different type of business model to help save me some money. And I went to a desk fee situation. And they had offices, but only a couple of them in my neighborhood. So I went to this company and paid a, a flat dollar amount, and I could get use of the office or the conference room, the copiers, and they would charge me a flat monthly fee. Now I would be generating $30,000 in commissions in my earlier example, but only taking home 15000 Then I decided to go to a desk fee company, and I'm paying, let's just say, $500 a month. Well, gosh, that $6,000 a year was what I was paying my broker. $30,000 minus the $6,000 in broker costs, $24,000. Same amount of gross commission, but a higher net to me. After a while of working that business model, I said, being the frugal person that I am, I think I'll open up my own brokerage, and then I created my own boutique brokerage. And boutique brokerages come in different shape, sizes, and flavors. They may cater only to senior purchasers and sellers, or they may cater only to bank-owned properties. And fill in the blank, there's all sorts of different boutique brokers. In that one, I said, I'm going to become my own broker and keep it all. So now I'm keeping all 30000 I think the question, though, for the new sales executive coming into the industry is, what's the right one for me? So... From the perspective of choosing that one, I think there's going to be a whole bunch of considerations. Now, Marshall, I'm going to pretend that you're a broker. Okay. And I'm walking in, and I'm going to sit down with you as a brand-new sales associate. I have no knowledge about what you're offering and what you're doing. You may take me on a tour of your office and show me all the amenities and the, the fishbowl of a conference room that I'm going to have access to use and all sorts of wonderful stuff. As you're interviewing me... I should be interviewing you. I want to know, does Marshall have my back? Does Marshall have access? Do I have access to Marshall? When I got a question, you see, I'm a new agent. I'm going to be showing houses at 8 o'clock at night. I'm going to be writing up offers. And can I call you to ask you questions about this financing addendum? These are important things for me as an early, newer agent. Maybe I'm an experienced agent. Maybe I'm switching from now one firm to the next. In this situation, I want to know as I'm talking to you, do you have my back? That if I get into trouble, if I have any issues that are beyond my scope, 
you know, filling out the contract. I've been doing this now for four years. I know how to fill in those forms. I need a broker who now has my back in the event that I do get into some troubles where I might have an unusual circumstance, an escalated customer, or even worse, a regulatory body investigation, that I have somebody there that is going to basically make sure that I have the full scope of resources to address the issue adequately, competently, and sufficiently. And from what I understand, there's brokerages that don't really cater to new agents at all, that they prefer only to yeah. take uh, recruit from other companies and take experienced agents. Yes. Um, so they might, those companies in particular, even if they would take you, mm-hmm. might not have the resources to properly support a new agent. And then you got to figure out if you can uh, make do on your own in that, that regard. That's a wonderful observation. You'll find that there are companies who are designed to hire the new person and in some companies that will refuse to hire a new person. Again, it depends upon the business model. For example, if I switched and went to the desk fee business model with $500 per month, that's $6,000 a year if I have no book of business that I got to pay, regardless if I make a sale or not. Some of the firms will be actually out there with training programs designed specifically for the new associate so that when they come in, the orientation, their training programs, all will be designed from a perspective of ground floor going up, whereas other firms might now be hiring experienced agents and their training will be a little bit more detailed in terms of areas of specialization, vertical market segments that they're hitting Big words here to mean, well, gee, we can train you on how to do specifically a short sale. And we have a short sale trainer on staff to give you that info. But when I join that firm, whether I'm new, whether I'm experienced, I would want to come in here and say, what is going to be the backing that I have of the firm as it relates to my business? Because I'm an independent contractor working at this here firm. I'm not the employee of the firm. I don't get benefits. I don't get income taxes withheld. I'm responsible for my quarterly filings. I'm responsible for getting my own health care and so forth. So I'm looking at what is it that the brokerage is going to be giving me. When I joined early in the industry, I came from a sales background. I had many, many, many years of sales experience. I didn't need a broker who was going to train me on how to make a presentation So I joined a firm that was going to give me legal backing and a fairly decent compensation plan. One of the things I would address to the audience who's listening, take an inventory. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? So before you even talk to a broker or make a decision to move to a new broker, identify what is it that you're lacking and then find the broker who will fit you like a glove. So when you're dealing with your personal inventory, break it down into two separate categories. Will I need product knowledge, sales skills, real estate knowledge, or do I need sales skills? The sales skills side of it being making presentations, overcoming objections, and convincing people to sign on the line that is dotted. When you're dealing with this one, Both of those are very important components of this trade. So your sales skills and your real estate product knowledge, if you're adequate in those ones and your broker is providing you a good program, but you see something that you like a little bit better, 
I would recommend talking to your existing broker before making a switch only because when I go from ABC Realty to XYZ Realty, yeah, sure, you know, that uh, the transfer fee to the uh, Commerce Department is 20 bucks. Business cards, open house signs, website redevelopment, those are costly. Losing contacts with previous clients who would call me back at ABC Realty, I might not have forwarded information to them. Check to see with your existing broker if they can make the grass a little greener on their side of the fence first. There's a new phenomena, or fairly new phenomena, in the trade called Teams. And it's a rather interesting scenario where we join a firm, but we're going to be placed as a member of a team on a real estate agent's company's uh, team. It's almost a company within a company. This is one that I have seen wonderful growth and disastrous uh, effects happening. So if I'm joining a team, some important considerations. Now Marshall has the team or the brokerage, and I'm going to be joining Joe's team as his buyer's agent. In this one, Joe is going to be sending me leads. And as we're dealing with this, I'm hoping that those leads are somewhat decent leads. Some of them may just be not so hot. They're selling these leads online and they're selling them to 40 agents in the Twin Cities. Some of the leads may be really warm and Joe knows these people and they go to his place of worship and they say, we're going to be buying a house within the next month. I have a really warm, hot lead there. So when I'm joining the team, how is it that they can give away? You might find a real estate professional who has done such a wonderful book of business They have a lot of leads, buyers, sellers coming in, and they need people because they have too many people coming in, and they need other agents to now help them. They're not doing it out of just the goodness of their heart. There's usually going to be some kind of compensation you're going to have to give them. So on the team, reflect on this. Who is the team leader? It's just as important as talking to the broker. What are going to be the expectations that I have when I'm dealing with this in terms of compensation? I might not be on a 90-10 split where I keep 90% of the commission paying the broker 10%. You see, Joe's on that split. I might now have to be on a 60-40 split where I get 60% of the commission. Joe's keeping 30. The broker keeps 10. So by having the intermediary, a middleman, if you will, What happens is that I will be receiving a lower percentage of the overall success commission, but I'm getting leads, experience, mentoring. But please remember, it is the broker who is responsible for supervising us, and we don't work for the team leader we're working with, not for them. They cannot tell us what to do, how to do it, tell us work hours, tell us type of clothes to wear, because we're not an employee of the team leader. So it does provide experience for a new person getting in. It's a great way to get yourself into the trades, make some sales, but it can be disastrous because maybe they're just buying leads from an online source or inferior quality type of source. And they're just seeing, hey, why don't you run your car, gasoline, burn it up. And if it comes to a fruition, they made a 30% profit. So it's a very difficult one to make an identification as to which is good, which is bad. Going back to our root question, the question we get asked a lot, is this a good brokerage? Is this a good team to go work for? That's where you have to do your due diligence as the listener 
and you have to make the determination on your own. Hopefully, some of the things we've been talking about here was giving you some seeds for thought that will hopefully identify what's going to be those items that you need. Thanks a lot, Mike. Really appreciate you walking us through this issue. I do want to say all the best as you're making your decisions, and I look forward to talking to you in our next podcast. This has been the Minnesota Real Estate Education Podcast with Mike Brennan. Mike is the owner of the Minnesota Realty School, and the classes and educational resources mentioned in this podcast can be found online at mnrealtyschool.com. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at mnpodcasting.com. The views expressed on the show are those of Mike Brennan and may not necessarily reflect the views or opinions of the Minnesota Realty School or Minnesota Podcasting.